Welcome to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Stories that will help us live well while we're waiting to see our children in heaven one day. We pray that these stories will be an encouragement to you as you walk this road of grief. I'm so excited to have another wonderful couple join me on the podcast today. Zach and Shelby Snow are the parents of Landon, Drew, Macy J, and two other babies that they will meet in heaven one day. I've actually known Shelby for a long time because she was a classmate and friend of my daughter Hannah, who is now in heaven, and we've gotten to know Zach over the last few years as well. As Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month draws to a close, I wanted to bring them on to share about their experiences in hope of putting a spotlight on this very important issue, and I'm so pleased to welcome them to the podcast today. Thank you, Jill, for having us. We're excited. Yep, glad to be here. Good. We're happy to have you. So let's get started by giving you all an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell us where you're from and what you do. Um, We met in Conway, and we currently reside in Valonia. I'm a registered nurse and kind of goes along with my story, but I ended up in labor and delivery. Yep, and uh, I, uh, at the beginning of all this, worked at the Game of Fish, and I currently work for Entergy. And I've uh, been doing that for two years. And like Shelby said, we are now here in Bologna. His job brought us back across the bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bologna is a good place to live, isn't it? Kind of nice yeah. small town living. Yeah, we so, yeah. So how did the two of y'all meet? So that's, that's a, a God story in itself because... I was always wondering, you know, who my future husband would be or how I'd meet him. And we're actually in college and in Conway, uh, we both went to UCA. Um, there's a bike um, trail and I want to start riding my bike because that's a big thing in college. So I went to Walmart and bought one and my roommate at the time drove her car back. And I said, I'll meet you from Walmart because it crosses over to the bike trail to the apartment. About, it's about two or three mile bike trail and about halfway through this brand new bike I bought, the tires went flat on it. And I was so upset and I was walking and I finally got to a gas station and the air pump didn't work. Oh no. So then I called my roommate and I walked all the way to our apartment at the time. She's like, well, I have this guy friend that has a truck. I, and I, you know, I was, I was mad. I'm going to be honest. I was mad. I was like, well, I'm going to go take this bicycle back and get my hundred and something dollars back. Well, here comes my knight in shining armor and his S10 to help me uh, get the bicycle back to Walmart. Pretty much from that day forward, I have literally probably seen him every day since, with the exception of a very few days. So it was definitely a when you know, you know type thing. Wow. Yeah, definitely meant to be. What a great story. Yes. Aren't you glad your bike tires went flat that day? It's just a testament to how, what... A random life is. How random life is. (laughs) Yeah. We think something's, you know, bad in our head, the Bible says. All things work out for the good of those that love him that are called according to his purpose. Not good things, 
all things, good and all, bad. That's right. Even flat bike tires. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So how many years have y'all been married? Six years now. Going on. Yeah. Close, to Close to seven. Um, and we've actually, we dated a year. We were engaged a year. We got married in 2014. So we're coming up on seven years of marriage and coming up on nine years of knowing each other. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, it'll be 10 before you know it. It's fun by. <laughs> a whole decade since you've met almost. So tell us a little bit about Drew and Macy J. Tell us what they're like. Oh, goodness. <laughs> they are both full of personality. They're total opposites. So Drew is literally like a grown man stuck in a four-year-old's body. <laughs> and Macy, Drew's outgoing and he's talkative and he's friendly. He's funny. And Macy's shy and reserved and quiet and just so timid. But they're both wonderful kids and we're so blessed to have them. And they're just, being a parent is the hardest but most rewarding job and I've learned that <laughs> we're in the trenches. Yeah. yeah. At, at that age, you really are in the trenches, yes. but it, like you said, it's a wonderful place to be. Yes, it is. Wouldn't have it any other way. Well, your kids are beautiful. Of course, I see their pictures on Facebook and just such beautiful children. Thank you so much. So in the introduction, I mentioned that you also have a son named Landon. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Landon. So Zach and I were married in March of 2014 and we found out we were expecting in August of 2014. Um, in the beginning, the uh, pregnancy was normal. I mean, we got all the way up until the anatomy scan and even at the anatomy scan, everything looked normal. And at that time I was in my last semester of nursing school and they had mentioned, do we want to do a quad screen, which is a non-invasive test for the mother to test for four things, uh, Down, syn Down syndrome, trisomy, 13, spina bifida, and another tri another trisomy, yeah, I believe. And um, I was like, sure, why not? Just because I'm normally an anxious person at baseline. So I just figured in my head that would be one less thing to anxious about because we were halfway through the pregnancy sure. and he was measuring appropriately at the time so about a week or so later we got the call back that he uh, screened it's not a diagnosis test it's a screening test he screened high risk for spina bifida and I was just so upset and thrown off by that because the anatomy scan was fine there was nothing wrong with his spine so they referred us to UAMS, the, um, the high-risk center, to get a more in-depth level two ultrasound. So when we get to the ultrasound there, I mean, it's just the longest scan, like two hours. Like, I was sore because it lasted so long. Oh, wow. And they just kept looking. And I was so thrown off because they were looking at his heart more than they were looking at his back. They said, and then they measure his growth. And at that time, I was like 22 weeks, and his growth had fallen off by two weeks. And I'm like, well, you know, it kind of kept us in the dark a little bit. It felt like they said he's his his growth isn't really measuring up to your due dates. He doesn't look like he has spina bifida. We just want you to follow up after Thanksgiving. 
I was just like, okay. But, you know, I knew my dates because we were trying to have him. So I knew that he, when he, around the time was conceived. And so, you know, I tried to enjoy Thanksgiving. And uh, in my mommy heart, I knew, I just knew that, that something wasn't right. And in hindsight, it's 2020. The whole time I just had that instinctive feeling, even though everybody said it was fine. I just knew like we weren't going to get to keep him. Mm. And so um, we went back after Thanksgiving and had a long ultrasound and the a very sweet, sweet doctor who I admire very much from UMS came into the room. He's a, a maternal fetal medicine doctor. He after the long ultrasound, he put his hand on my knee and he said, what's your baby's name? And then my heart just sank because I was just like, he wants to know his name. So I just felt like he wanted it to be personal. He's about to tell me something serious, which he was. So I said, his name's Landon. And he said, we have some concerns about Landon in future pregnancies. And in my mind at that time, I'm like, what about this baby? Like, why are you even talking about future pregnancies? And apparently um, there were some markers that were of concern. Um, his growth at this point had fallen off four weeks. He was severe IUGR, which is uh, intrauterine growth restriction. Um, his heart was enlarged. It was overworking. His kidneys were starting to fail. So they wanted us to come back in two weeks to see a cardiologist from children's. So another two weeks of angst goes by and we had him ruled out for um, trisomy. Was it 18? 18. 18. Um, So that was a week of waiting. And I have never been in such just angst is the word I could put. It was just weeks and weeks of just worse and worse news and just being on pins and needles, just, feeling this baby kick inside of me and he was alive and well inside of me. But all these doctors were telling me that he was dying or something was wrong with him. And I just couldn't understand. And so finally another two weeks passed where I believe it's after Christmas and the genetics uh, counselor who is a dear friend of mine now, as well as the ultrasound uh, technologist that was with us throughout the whole process they called me and said, we really, we know that your family's important to you. And we really think that maybe you should bring all your family in. So I knew, I mean, I was grieving Landon before he had passed like weeks and weeks. I just knew, but I hadn't, I don't want to say given up, but I haven't, I hadn't um, accepted it yet. And so um, the cardiologist did another long scan. My Zach's family was there. My family, the room was just packed and his name was Elijah and he sat down and again, he said, what's your baby's name? And I said, it's Landon. And he said, I'm just going to be real transparent with you. Landon probably will not live for another two weeks. You have what we call placental insufficiency. His heart's overworking, his heart's failing, which ultimately is making his kidneys fail. His organs are failing, you know, it, the the outlook is very grim, and of course, it was a very emotional time. Um, our all of our family grieved together. They said, from this point forward, you can either go ahead and move forward with delivery, or you can wait it out. And you know, I've seen 
both sides of the token as a labor and delivery nurse. I'm pro-life, but I've seen people that have had 110% certain diagnosis that they didn't want to carry it to term knowing they would have to say goodbye. And I've my heart's ached with those individuals and the patients that I've cared for. So I don't judge them for that. But me personally, if he was going to die for me to be at peace with it, I was going to have to know that it was God's timing and not my timing. And I wanted to leave that little room for hope. And so I continued to carry him. We had one or two more weekly checkups. And at the last checkup, to see if he was improved or if he had died yet. My family had come and I could see for myself on the screen that he, he was dying. You could just see his heart was huge. There wasn't much fluid. I remember laying on that table and just praying. I said, okay, God, I said, you can take him. And I swear, I kid you not. If he did not die that day, he died that weekend because the movements changed. I just felt this, this, peace in a sense that it's almost like God respected me as his mother and gave me the chance to release him back to him. But I came to that place and um, he did. And Zach and I were busy. I was in school. He was working. And I told him, I said, I think he's gone. And Zach would just said, let's just wait till our next appointment, which was Friday. And I knew before she put the ultrasound probe on me, and sure enough, we just saw a perfect little still picture of him all curled up in my womb, but he, he was gone. And so then we proceeded for into the induction into labor and delivery. Um, it was just, it was just a really hard time. His nursery was completely done. Um, car seat was bought. We had bought a new vehicle. I mean, it was, it was a challenging time. So, um, that's landing. It's hard for me to imagine going through that, uh, all of the waiting that you had to do, you know, waiting for results and waiting for tests and, and waiting for information and all of those things. And, yeah. um, you know, with the same time you have all of this hope and like you said, you had all of these things bought and the nursery ready and things like that. And just to, to go through all of that. And then, and then when they did give you that news and to know that he, I mean, unless God did a miracle which we know he could right. if he chose to, to have to say goodbye. Right. And I, I just, when we did see that he was finally passed, you know, I did hold out the hope. And of course I was his mother. I wanted him to be born alive, but there was almost a sense of peace when I saw that he had passed and an excitement that I would get to hold him. Mm. Like a lot of that stems, not because I was glad that he was dead. Of course not. I, I knew that that wasn't the end. And I don't know. It's just very hard to explain. But it was the worst, but one of the best days of my life when he was finally born uh, that following Saturday uh, before noon. It was 1142. Yeah. So you had to go through labor and delivery and, and all of that epidural the whole nine yards it was it was it was difficult um it's I mean it was just like any live birth except for I would be leaving my baby there to be cremated so yeah yeah so you did get to hold him yes Um, how long did you get to keep him with you so that that um as a labor and delivery nurse is uh 
one of my regrets. I do wish I had when I knew that he was probably dead. I wish I had gone sooner because um, that time was shortened because of the integrity of his skin. When he was first born, he looked fine. Um, but then after they bathed him and changed him into the clothes that my aunt had monogrammed for him, she made him a little gown with his name on it. And that was a surprise. And that meant more to, to me than she'll ever know. Yes. Oh, certainly emotional, but um, we got to holding for about two hours, which in hindsight, although I wish I could have had forever, that was kind of a blessing in um, disguise because I wanted to remember him in a good way. And of course, natural death process took over and kind of stole that time from us. But um, uh, it was it was probably best because I mean, no time's a good time to say goodbye. So I kind of knew as his mom and Zach knew as his dad that, um, that it was okay. And that it was time because we wanted to remember him looking good. So yes. something that I do commend UMS for is they've implemented the cuddle cot and that is to preserve the time. And it's, it looks like a little Moses basket and there's a cooler underneath so that they can keep their babies for longer so that the, the natural process doesn't expedite. So about two hours, I would say. I've been blessed to see a picture of Landon and I think he's just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) He's perfect. Absolutely perfect. (laughs) So I do think that so often when a baby goes to heaven, so much of the focus is on the mom and that's understandable of course, because she's the one that carries the baby in the womb and gives birth. But I do feel like dads tend to get overlooked, especially in this type of situation. Um, would you like to speak to that issue, Zach? Yeah, and it's it's that's a true statement. Um, it's warranted, though. Um, even even in the situation, my focus was on Shelby, mm. uh, and that was that was all my focus on, really. Um, and in in that, I just. You just kind of forget about yourself for a little bit and focus on your wife and make sure she's she's getting through everything. Because at the end of the day, um, although both of you are going through it, uh, she had the baby in her womb and, you know, she could feel landing kick and move all the time. And um, but at the at the same time, I crashed pretty hard about three months later. So, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It was a lot of, for him, like he said, he was focused on me and focused on getting me through all those processes. And even with live birth situations, as a nurse, labor and delivery nurse, I feel like the dad's emotional connection really, really, truly takes place when they see and hold the baby. I mean, you just see it in their eyes. Um, and so, of course, he held, loved, and kissed Landon. But like he said, it, he had what I would consider delayed grieving. And at the, like I said before, I started grieving Landon before he was even gone. Sure. And so, I feel like dads. Yeah. And that was not the same for yeah. me. Yeah. He, Zach did not, I don't want to say give up hope, but he, it was not real to him in the sense that he was going to say goodbye to Landon until he saw him and held him and knew that he was gone. You know what I mean? It's just a delayed grieving is how I would describe it. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. 
than I can imagine as a dad. I mean, I know the way my husband it is, you know, he just kind of wants to fix everything. You know, he wants everything to be okay. And he, there's always a way to fix everything. And this is something that can't be fixed. Right. Exactly. So I would imagine as a dad that that's something you probably dealt with. Oh, absolutely. And I would like to speak to Zach and my dad. As you mentioned, men are fixers. Mm -hmm. And not only did the dads kind of get, I don't want to say lost, but it's just a different kind of loss to where the woman is the central focus. Um, but as my parents, not just my dad, but my parents and Zach's parents, they grieved not only a grandchild, but they grieved their children hurting and going through something that cannot be fixed. And they felt helpless. So they double grieved in a sense because they lost a grandchild and they also lost a part of their children because yeah. a part of us went with Landon. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. I mean, you just, when you're touched by something like that, you know, you can be changed for the better if you choose that, but a part of you goes to heaven with your child. I mean, absolutely. It just happens. Yeah, and I think uh, grandparent grief is a lot of times kind of overlooked as well. Um, I'm sure, Zach, you had people coming up to you all the time, you know, in the aftermath and saying, well, now how is Shelby doing? And I'm sure the same thing happened to your parents. Everybody would ask them, well, how how is Shelby doing? And maybe how is Shelby and Zach doing? But people don't say, oh, Zach, how are you doing? You know, or how are you all doing as grandparents? And uh, I think that's unfortunate. That's something that you said that in hindsight, you know, we were in the room while I was laboring and stuff. But something that meant a lot to my mom as a nurse noticed that my mom was upset and she came up and hugged my mom. And my mom just kind of collapsed in her arms because, you know, they carry it and they try to seem poised and strong in front of us. But they're grieving, too, not just for Landon, but for their children. Absolutely. It sounds like you've had such a great experience with your nurses and doctors and uh, radiologists and all of those people. And that's wonderful. Not everybody has that, unfortunately. And I had mentioned I was in my last semester of nursing school. Well, yeah. part of keeping Landon alive to me at that time was I wanted to be there for those women who experienced the same thing I have you know, not to push my experience on them, but, but because I feel what they felt and unfortunately laid in the exact same bed and room as they had, because we have a designated room for the most part for that situation. But I just, I commend UAMS. They have an amazing bereavement program and they really, they really care for those people. They truly do. And so I went on to work there as a new nurse because of that. Yeah, that's wonderful. So it wasn't long after Landon went to heaven that you all found out you were expecting again. Yeah. So talk about the experience of pregnancy after the loss of a baby. So pregnancy after loss of a baby, it's a beautiful thing. But honestly, it's another thing that you grieve because, you know, you never, it's never when, it's if, for the entire pregnancy, every day, every minute, it's, oh my God, is the baby moving, is the baby growing, is the baby measuring. It's it's never when, it's if. So I do still 
have some jealousy for women that don't have to experience that and they just get to experience the win. Um, but um, Landon and Drew are 11 months apart. They're Irish twins. Landon was born in January and Drew was born in December. Um, I do believe Drew was um, conceived around Landon's due date, which is kind of healing, kind of confusing because it's like I couldn't have Drew without Landon, but it's also special. Our whole experience is just, it's just, I can't explain it. It's, can't have one without the other. You you can't say you would change this and not that. But Drew is very special. He's very wanted, hoped for, prayed for. He is not a replacement. Whenever I left the hospital, my arms were heavy and I miss Landon and I wanted Landon, but I also wanted to be a mom on earth. Um so we did we we had two babies in one year. Wow. I've never heard that expression, Irish twins. Yep. That's what it is. Wow, that's neat. So, yeah, I can imagine how you could be jealous of women who might have that, just the joy of pregnancy without the fear, you know, or without the anxiety. I'm very thankful they don't have to experience that and they get to enjoy being pregnant. Because although I did enjoy pregnancy, my pregnancies that were healthy, I still didn't enjoy them because I was scared the whole time. Sure. Oh, I can imagine. So... After Drew was born healthy, you became pregnant again uh-huh. and then again. Yes. So talk about those two babies and what that experience was like. So Drew was about, um, I would say about 18 months. And the the our third pregnancy was a complete surprise. I just woke up feeling sick one morning. And I took a test and I was like, oh my goodness, I was pregnant. But of course, again, it wasn't when, it was if. And that was shortly faded as that was an early loss. Um, but that was also a learning experience for me because with Landon, you know, I carried him to the third trimester. I labored, you know, the epidural pushed all those things that recovered and in this sense, you know, I didn't get to see this baby, hold this baby, but I still wanted the baby. Of course. And so I kind of gained that perspective from a woman that loses a baby at an early gestation and, it hurts. I mean, it still hurts. It's it's just a different kind of loss. And, you know, I, that loss kind of was overshadowed by, by the loss of land and by my, even my family, because, you know, it was a different kind of loss. So I felt like that was more of a silent loss because it wasn't something that others saw or others felt. It was something that was lost inside of me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's a different grieving process. And then shortly thereafter, um, we got pregnant again. Um, that one was what is called medically ablated ovum. It's where you continue to feel pregnant, the placenta implants, but the na- baby never fully develops. Um, so that was kind of an excruciating experience because I felt pregnant and I was going in to get labs. And again, just like Landon and the first pregnancy and uh, or the first early loss, this loss, something just didn't feel right. And I was getting regular lab work to watch my hormones and they kept climbing, but not climbing appropriately for, an, for a healthy pregnancy. Um, and then finally they began to drop, but that was kind of a drug out process as well. I believe it was like a, from the time we found out to the time, I actually miscarried. It was like a 
four-week process, whereas Landon's process was 18 weeks to 28 weeks. But so that was that was hard because um, I was going through that when Drew turned two. So it was just, it was a lot. I feel like I've been pregnant the last, the first five years of our marriage. Yeah. But then we've ended on a good note. <laughs> right. So when you became pregnant again... And this one was Macy J. Were you just terrified at that point? Or was there just kind of this feeling of resignation of, you know, hey, this baby could go to heaven too? Um, or did you have hope? Or, you know, I, it's hard to, hard to imagine after so many losses mm -hmm. that what you must have been feeling. We knew we wanted two living babies on earth. Um and so Zach and I had discussed it and we said, we're going to try one more time. And if it ends in loss, we are completely content with Drew. Um, but we hope that it's successful. It actually, which is weird because we had never had trouble getting pregnant. We had trouble staying pregnant besides Drew. He was the exception. Um, so it was weird when I kept seeing those negative pregnancy tests every month because we had never had trouble getting pregnant. We had trouble staying pregnant. And so we actually tried for Macy for over a year, which is a loss in itself almost. And I, you know, since this month is infant and pregnancy loss awareness month, I grieved for the baby I wanted every month that I saw a negative pregnancy test for over a year. And so that is a loss in itself. And I just want to encourage those women that are going through that as well, that it's okay to grieve. It's okay. Cause that in itself is a loss. I mean, that was a pain every month in my soul. Like my soul hurt cause I wanted her. And so it took about over a year and then we finally got pregnant with her. And of course there was always the, the anxiety and it, it's just a mix of emotions, but like I've kind of hinted to with each pregnancy, I just kind of knew, I, I kind of knew with Drew, although I was anxious and I kind of knew with Macy that they would be okay. And then with the others that I lost, I just kind of knew something wasn't right. But Macy was fine. I actually carried, my doctor made me carry her a week longer than Drew. She allowed me to have Drew at 38 weeks since Landon had passed before. And then with her, she said, you've had a healthy pregnancy. So we're going to go to the normal 39 weeks for a repeat C-section. Um, and she came out screaming and crying and pink and she's sassy and sweet all at the same time. And um, I did choose to get my tubes tied after that pregnancy because we just, we just, we just want to go to the next chapter of our lives and not go through what we've been through. Um, and it, it was almost, it was mixed emotions because I finally for once had the control of my childbearing experiences to say, okay, we're content. We're happy. We're done. We're going to move on and raise our kids. And, um, but then there was also that, that, that grieving process of that part of my life's over, you know, and I feel like the outcome might have been different. Had we not gone through what we had gone through, we might have had three healthy babies. I don't know, but this is just the path that God's had us on. So we, we feel peace in knowing that, that we're done having babies. Well, and like I said, you've got a couple of very beautiful babies that just seem to have great personalities. And I'm looking forward to watching them grow up. So is there a particular scripture or scriptures that have been helpful to you all on your grief journey? 
So a song, I know it's not scripture, while I was going through the waiting process within in those nine, ten weeks was I'm Not Alone by Carrie Job. I'm sure when I get to heaven and see Landon, we'll probably sing that song together because I would lay like in the bathtub. When I'm stressed or upset, I'm a shower bathtub type person, just that quiet time. And I would listen to that song, Feeling Kick. So that song really kind of helped me through that time kind of difficult to listen to it now because it takes me back to those emotions but that song really comforted me and of course drew's name is drew samuel snow and we got we got that from first samuel 127 for this child i prayed and lord gave me the child i asked for and we just thought that that name was appropriate uh for him and then um of course throughout the process with landon i had made him a wooden sign with Psalms 139 on it. And I can read it for you real quick. Um, and that kind of helped me through um, the process of waiting to see if he would be born alive or not. I have it marked here. I mean, I'm sure it's familiar to a lot. It says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And at the time, of course, I was reading that, hoping that, you know, he would live. But through the healing process, the main thing, you know, it's been almost six years now was that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So then that leads me to fast forward to this year of quarantine. I've really delved into scripture and really read God's word for myself. And it's actually been life changing. It's when Jesus raised Lazarus back to life. And when I started studying this I came to know that back in that culture they felt or they believed that a body could be raised back to life as long as it was within three days on the fourth day they believed like the soul went to heaven um and so I found it interesting that Jesus purposefully waited for the fourth day to raise Lazarus back to life and you know if you read on in the chapter they're frustrated like why didn't you come before why didn't you come before He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And you read on down in John 11, verse 35, says Jesus wept, period. And, you know, if you just kind of skim through it and you don't catch the significance of that, that's before he raised him back to life. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus back to life, but he wept anyways. So, you know. This has been coming up on six years and it still hurts. I mean, I'm still grieving. You you never stop grieving a child. But I found comfort in knowing that in the early days when I was angry and I was frustrated and confused. Well, what about Landon? What about Landon? What about Landon? God's taught me that, you know, all those ultrasounds and all those appointments and, you know, going through labor and delivering and holding my beautiful baby that was without life. Just picturing Jesus right there with Zach and I weeping with us brought me so much comfort, especially in the context of knowing that he knew he was about to bring Lazarus back to life. So that in itself just tells me we as humans only see this small portion in the rest of eternity. 
And that is such a healing concept to grasp to know that Jesus wept with me. And he understands our emotions. He gave us our emotions, especially in the early days. But he knows Landon's days. They're all written in his book of, of life before any one of them came to be. And that's not, this isn't the end of Landon's story. It's not. Right. And he he's alive and well in his full capacity. And so I've learned, especially holding Landon in his, in his state, there are worse things than death. Because if we know Jesus is our Savior, and this isn't the end. And I know I'm going to see him again. Absolutely. Thank you for those scriptures. Those are all great. Um, we had a mom that was here um, at a retreat recently, and there was a kind of a long quote that she um, read to the group, but it, it was about Lazarus's story. And I don't remember the entire quote, but the gist of it was that even if we know there's a happy ending, ultimately a happy ending, it's okay to cry at the sad parts. Exactly. And I found comfort in knowing that someone who sees the past, present, and future grieve too, you know, our Savior, our counselor, our best friend, the great physician, he grieved too. And he grieved Landon's life too. And he's resurrected and redeemed him in heaven. And one day we'll get to see that part. Yeah. Boy, that that just kind of makes you want to shout, doesn't it? I know. When that revelation came to me this year, I was like, oh my God, thank you, Lord. Yes, for sure. Little words. Jesus wept. Absolutely. So the loss of a child changes a parent profoundly at a very deep level. Um, how do you feel like the loss of your babies has changed you? I, I personally feel like I've been changed because I just feel like it's made me a better, a better person, a better mom. Not because Landon died, but in the sense that I appreciate the ones that God's allowed me to keep for now. Because I've also learned they're not our own. Like, they're his. Landon's was his. But the fact that he's entrusted these two little souls to me and I get to raise them, I feel like I get to appreciate them on a deeper level than some that haven't experienced such a great loss. Um, I just feel like I'm more empathetic. Um, it's definitely changed my relationship with God over time. I, You know, I'd be... Lying if I didn't say the beginning was rough, you know, we're human, we're angry, we're mad, we're bitter, we're confused, we're jealous. But over time, my relationship with Christ and God has evolved and I contribute a lot of that to Landon. Absolutely. Yeah, Zach, did you have any thoughts about that, how you've changed? Uh, I've definitely, through it all, I've been a lot more patient just in life in general. Um, you know, we talked about being the Mr. Fix it. Um, it's, it's definitely toned me down on that. Um, and, and just appreciating what we have in life in general, um, from our kids to, you know, the jobs that we have to the things that we have, you know, just be appreciative for, for everything in life that you have. And, uh, more specifically our kids. Um, uh, I, most people don't understand, you know, truly that your kids are, are an absolute blessing every day. Uh, whether, whether they're going crazy <laughs> or, uh, you know, being, being the best little kids they can be. Um, they are just truly a blessing. It's just taught me to be very patient with my kids and with my wife. Um, and just, you know, 
try to find the best in every situation that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Then, boy, those are great things to have learned, you know, great, great lessons to learn for sure. So it's been almost six years now since Landon went to heaven. Mm -hmm. So if you can think back to those early days of grief, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to a newly bereaved parent? I would imagine in your job, Mm -hmm. you may encounter other women going through similar losses. What, what kinds of advice do you give them? To sum it up in one word is grace. We're humans. I mean, the human part of us, especially in those unfair situations, once, wants to come out I mean it's very painful to think back to that time but it's just you know I blame myself a lot did I do this wrong you know is God punishing me this or that and I've just come to realize that we live in a sinful world and whether death has touched you or has not touched you yet it will touch each and every one of us and we've just unfortunately experienced it earlier than others um but I would just say grace, um, grace with each other, grace with yourself, grace with God. And like I said, God, he, he made us. He knows us. He, he's given us emotion, anger, sadness, bitterness. And, you know, I, I, I do feel like he understands those emotions, especially in that situation. And it's just a, it's a healing process. You know, my profession, you cut somebody open and it hurts. It's painful. And it heals over time, but that scar is always there. So just give yourself grace. It's it, it never goes away. You just learn, as we say it while we're waiting, to live with your new normal. And for the guys, um, just, uh, you know, kind of set your pride aside. And you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk, talk to somebody. Um, I was bad about it. I was very prideful. And I want to thank y'all for the while we were waiting retreat because that was really the first time we really sat down and talked to anybody. We went to a counselor a couple times, but it wasn't for either one of us. It wasn't, it just didn't feel right. Um, but yeah, just at least talk to your spouse about it. Be open and honest. Cry if you need to. Um, you know, just, just you got to work through it yourself. And I know this podcast it's not meant to promote while we're waiting and it's it's meant to point people to Jesus in their grieving but just coming off what Zach said that retreat a few months after uh, Landon passed we we grew together and healed in a way together in our marriage that I cannot emphasize enough just being around others although the losses are different that core aspect of grief Y'all, y- y'all and everybody there understood it in a way that even our families couldn't understand it. So we do thank y'all. We love you guys. Yeah. Well, we love y'all too. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I do think that um, for, for you guys, for the type of loss that you have, you know, everybody always feels awkward around um, parents that have lost children because they don't know what to say. And I've always felt like those that experience pregnancy and infant loss probably have to deal with more inappropriate comments than even the average, I don't know if that's the right word, but the typical bereaved parent. Um, I know we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast, um, either because they've lost a child or because they love someone who has lost a child and they want to know what 
you know, what should they say and what should they not say to someone in particular that has lost a baby or a pregnancy? That's a very good question. Um, in the early days, I've kind of hit it on that human comes out of you. Um, I did not want people to talk about God's plan or God's plan for Landon because that hurt me on a deep level. And I may just be speaking for myself personally, but in my mind, I could at that in the early days, I could not equate God taking Landon. And to this day, I don't think God took Landon. You know, I believe that we live in a fallen world and the sin and the corruptness of this world is what took Landon from us. God's just is the one that saved him and has him in heaven. So I've come to that conclusion that, you know, Jesus wept. And I'm so thankful that we have heaven to look forward to as our hope. But in the early days, especially if that person is a believer, that hurt me to my core. Yes. People throw in God comments at me because I love God. I love the Lord and I love Landon. And I mean that those two just, they didn't make sense together, the situation and God. Another aspect would be even to this day, like you talking about Landon is not going to remind me about Landon. I think about him every day, even family members that kind of, they kind of dance around it. It's kind of awkward. They don't, bring him up like when you bring him up that brings me healing and joy that you remember him because you're not going to remind me of him he's a part of who I am and it it's it's healing when you talk about him or you include him or you bring him up like I said you're not reminding me of him I think about him all the time it's kind of a hard question I, I, I didn't in the beginning hold any questions to heart that was asked to me. Um, I was lucky in the sense that uh, I worked with very few people at the time. And one of the guys that I worked with had actually had actually lost triplets in the same way. Um, So he knew. Yeah. He would just say, how are you doing? How's Shelby doing? And once I told him it just be left at that, he never asked what happened. Why did it happen? Nothing. He just, you know, he he just knew so uh with the family and stuff uh they were there so they kind of they rode the roller coaster with us a little bit and um there was times where they would say stuff that upset you but i just Mm -hmm. didn't i just didn't listen to it it's easy in the early days to when they say even family strangers whatever people say well-meaning comments but they hurt they hurt so it goes back to that word grace. Just just try to remember that they don't know and be glad that they don't know. Right. Because it's something I wouldn't wish on anybody. And just take people's comments slightly because And they're trying to be nice at the end of the day. They're mm-hmm. trying just to make sure you're okay. But sometimes it's they just don't understand what they're saying. Exactly. I imagine people would say things to you like, Oh, well, you're young. You can have another baby. Was that said to you? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, or, or they'll tell us about a time that their, their sister's brother's cousin went through the same thing. Yeah. So they understand or God, God has a purpose for everything. Don't say God took my baby. Sin took my baby. 
like the world we mm. live in, Sigma Bay. This broken world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we got lots of well-meaning comments that were very hurtful. So, yeah. it's great. Was there anything said that was particularly helpful? Something that you would recommend to people to say? Um, just something particularly during that time is, it was my last semester of nursing school, and my classmates who I had been working closely alongside for three years at that time, they all put together a little box, and they all individually wrote me little letters and presented it to me in a baby blanket with Landon's name on it of why I was a good mother. And it all, oh. it just broke me in the best way. But just, just talking about him, like, he's a, just as much a part of our lives as Macy and Drew. It's just in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. One of the hardest questions for parents to answer after the loss of a child is how many children do you have? And people ask that question all the time when they, you know, when you meet somebody new. How do you handle that question? Well, in the beginning, goes back to Grace. I was very hard on myself and felt like I had to tell everyone and their mother when they asked me that question. Especially when Drew was here. We have two. One lives in heaven and one is here with us. Well, then you have to go into the whole story and so on and so forth. And with time and healing, I've given myself grace that it's my story to tell. He's my child. And I don't have to feel guilt if I don't want to have to go into that because it is a very common question to ask. And you don't really understand how often that question is asked until you have lost a child. And as I've healed, I've learned that it's okay just to say Macy and Drew. And I may be speaking for myself in some days, or I just may feel led to say Landon too. I mean, it just that I've given myself grace and permission to know that I don't have to tell my story with everybody and their mother. <laughs> so it, it's been a process and you know, that the deep part of you hurts and aches and it's like, no, I have Landon too. And then my other two babies that went on before we could even know them or hold them. But it's just, it's just a, it's a very painful topic and very personal. So grace I don't have to tell everybody. Yeah. It depends on the audience. Yeah. It, it just does. That too. If it's somebody that I know I'm going to be around, then I'll tell them the story. But if, it, you know, when it's just like strangers, you meet a, an acquaintance somewhere. Right. I'm not, it's not going to be the whole story. It's going to be, I've got two living with me. Yeah. 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 That's a perfect way to put it too is I have two living with me, you know, mm-hmm. kind of leaves that room for landing. Right. Well, and sometimes your story, like you said, it's, it is your story and, and it's sacred, you know, and you, yeah. you don't always want to share that with just everybody, you know? Yeah. So I understand that. Um, holidays are always tough for bereaved parents um, as our birthdays and heaven days. And I would imagine that due dates are also an especially difficult day for parents that have lost um, infants or pregnancies. So have you found any special ways to celebrate Landon's life on those hard days, the holidays, the, the heaven day, the due date, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first birthday, we had a pizza party just as if he were here. We released balloons and we had a cookie cake. It was very hard because we sang him happy birthday. My whole family came. That was his first birthday. 
And thereafter, we um, just, me and Zach and the kids, every single year we've bought a cookie cake. And we let Drew, and probably this year we'll let Macy blow the candle out. But we think happy birthday every year. And um, that's something that we've done to honor and remember him. Um, but something that I've recognized in myself is sometimes my heart and soul recognize those dates are approaching before my mind um start kind of feeling it before my mind makes the connection and in our particular situation it's the day he was born and then also in April when he was due he was due April 15th and something those early days that hurt was I was mad because the flowers were blooming without him and so in the early spring when everything starts getting pretty it stings a little bit but sure yeah, but to remember him, it's the cookie cake every year. So you have the opportunity to celebrate his life with Drew and Macy. So they're getting to know Landon yeah. as they grow up. You know, uh, Sharon Landon, if you ask Drew, I remember one year my aunt told me they were talking about siblings. And Drew said, yeah, I have my little sister, Macy J. And uh, I have uh, another brother in heaven in Landon, but he died in mommy's belly. And uh, my aunt looked around as a vacation Bible school and all the adults were just crying. <laughs> but Aww. it's just so innocent for him and so natural because our children, and it's a personal choice, they're going to grow up knowing who he is. They know his name. So, yeah, I think that's great. So um just kind of a deep question here. We're just about out of time. What are some specific ways that you're seeking to live well while you're waiting to see Landon and your other babies again? I know your choice of profession, Shelby, is is one way that you are doing that. So, um, yeah, how, how are you living well while you're waiting? Particular for me, it would be my profession. Um, I've also learned that I can tell people my story without having to tell people my story. Just ministering to them and meeting their needs where they're at if they're going through something similar. Um, I've known people that have experienced that and I've sent them stuff in the mail and not even put my name on it. Just letting them know that they're known, their baby's known, their their uh, their pain is felt. Um, I've uh, I feel like for Zach and I both, it's it's using that grief from losing Landon and raising our children. Because I feel like it's a quote that I love is sometimes the greatest thing you can do for the kingdom of God is not what you do, but who you raise. And we want to use that grief to motivate us to raise Christ fearing kids and babies. They're growing up very quickly, but we just want them to know through Landon that this world isn't it. It's only the beginning. Do you have something to share, Zach, about living well while you're waiting? <laughs> no, that's a deep question. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said earlier, uh, just and and Shelby used the word grace, just having having grace for for people uh, that we encounter, uh, whether we know them or they're they're new people that we've that we've just met. Um, just really, just really opening up with people and setting your pride aside and and uh like Shelby was saying just just living in a way that our kids are growing up in a good household with good morals and um just putting effort into ourselves first and then our kids and and people around us uh 
I mean, at the end of the day to show that God and Jesus are, are part of our life and it's how we, how we make it through day to day. Yep. Yeah. And the most valuable thing you guys can be focusing your time on right now is raising those kids. I mean, that's the best way to live well while you're waiting. So thank you all for coming on the podcast today to share the story of your sweet babies and God's faithfulness in your journey. Um, I do think it's so important for people to be aware that the grief of those who have lost little ones is just as profound as it is for those of us who have lost older children. Mm -hmm. So thank you for your honesty and transparency and sharing your journey and bringing light and awareness to this important subject. Um, You've honored your babies beautifully today in sharing their stories. Thank you for having us, Jill. We we love you guys and we appreciate you more than you know. Oh, we love y'all too. Good to talk to y'all today. Me too. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and, and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.